God will never give you more than you can handle. You have probably heard that phrase or have used that phrase in an effort to attempt someone, to, com- to attempt to comfort someone that is walking through hurt or pain or suffering, right? And our intent is to say, hey, if, if you'll just hold on a little longer, perhaps you'll see that God is doing something. Just hold on, press on, trust the Lord. He's in it for your good. He'll never give you more than you can handle. What if that's not true? Like we know families that are walking through a sudden death and they're overwhelmed with grief. We know people that have been given a diagnosis of a devastating disease. We know people in their families that are walking through brokenness and trouble because of a decision that was made by someone in their family. You know, being on staff, we have the opportunity week to week to meet with people who come into our offices and they're overwhelmed with what's going on in their lives. And they're seeking guidance and they're seeking counsel, wondering where God is and what he's doing. And we have the privilege to meet with them, to encourage them, and to remind them that God is good, that he's with them, and point them back to the Lord. See, I'm convinced that God indeed gives us more than we can handle. And he does that so that we would rely on him and not ourselves. He will never give us more than he himself can handle. And we just have to run to him. When I think about families that are walking through challenges and difficulty, I think of a family that I had the privilege to work with a few years before I came to FBG. This family was a refugee family. There were eight of them, a father, a mother, and six children, the youngest of which had a significant disability. He could not speak and he could barely move. And for years, this family experienced violence because of their faith in Christ and because of their ethnicity. And they would watch as their family and friends were dismembered or murdered because of what they believed. Yet they were able to escape and they became refugees and they were granted the permission to travel to the US to start a new life. And when they got here, they were safe but things were not easy. See, this father had a pressing need to work and earn an income to become self-sufficient. Their their assistance was limited. And so he began a job at night. He would go into work about 10 o'clock at night, ride his bike to work, and work till about 7 o'clock in the morning. He'd get off work and get on his bike and go back home to take care of his youngest son as his other five kids went off to school and as his wife went off to her job. She'd get off in the early afternoon and come back home, and then he would go to the bedroom to sleep for a few hours. Then he'd wake up and ride his bike to his part-time job. After leaving his part-time job, he'd ride his bike back over to his full-time job, and then he'd get off at seven o'clock in the morning to start the whole process all over again. And man, I just have to wonder that if you think about this family and the conversations that they had and their prayers to the Lord, that there were questions that there were times of doubt where they would say, God, if you're really good, then how come we are walking through so much trouble? If you're really good, then how come we've experienced the things that we've experienced? If you really care for us, then why is life so difficult? If you're fair, if you're just, how come we were able to escape, but our friends and family members were not able to escape? But if you met this man, you would have been met with a warm smile on his face and a firm handshake. And you would have seen that he had joy, 
that he had a look of contentment. He was very pleasant to be around. And inevitably, in a conversation with him, you would have heard, praise the Lord. In his broken English, you would have heard, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And how could this be the case? This could be the case because he knew God deeply, and he knew God right in the middle of his circumstances. And so when he walked around, he knew God to be good no matter what, no matter his suffering. Paul has a lot to say about suffering in 2 Corinthians. You can go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning. See, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. And for 18 months, he spent time with them, teaching them the faith, teaching them things of the Lord. And he leaves, and upon his departure, he finds out that they have departed from some of the things that they had learned initially. And Paul wants correction, and so he writes a letter to them. He sends someone to offer correction, and things don't go well. So Paul decides that he's going to visit. He visits them, confronts sin that is going on, asks them to return to the Lord, to be reconciled. That visit does not go well, and then Paul writes a letter. It's called the painful letter. It's the letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians actually refers back to this letter. We don't have a copy of it in in our Bibles. But in this letter, it's clear that Paul confronts specific sin going on with specific people. And upon receiving the letter, things begin to change, and Paul eventually gets report that things are going well, they're returning to the Lord. And so he writes 2 Corinthians, to them to offer encouragement. It's one of the main themes through 2 Corinthians. He encourages them to continue to be reconciled to one another. He writes to encourage them to forgive the brother that has fallen. He writes to encourage them to support another church that's walking through a time of suffering. And in the Corinthian church, Paul has opponents. Paul has people that would look to him and say, Paul, if you are an apostle, If you really have God's favor and God's using you, then why is it that you suffer? Why is it that you are given the circumstances that you are given? Why are you afflicted? And Paul doesn't flex his muscle as an apostle. Instead, he simply says, look, my suffering is not an indicator that God is not with me. In fact, my suffering is a sign that I am doing the things that God has called me to do, that I'm seeking to honor him in my life. We have to know this morning that God in his goodness uses our affliction so that we can know his comfort and so that we can in turn comfort others. And my hope for us this morning is that in the middle of a storm that we would cling to Christ. Our affliction is not meaningless. No, our affliction is the means in which we can know Christ intimately and help others do the same. So with that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is what Paul writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort with which we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Brothers, we do not want you to be aware of our afflictions that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. While you join in helping us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. This verse over and over again mentions affliction or suffering. There are several words that are used in our text to talk about affliction and suffering. We need to see two things. One, suffering, it's like taking on the sufferings of Christ. If you look at the life of Paul, you see that he was arrested, that he was beaten for what he believed. As he set out to accomplish God's will in his life, to make disciples of all nations, he faced opposition and rejection. He was afflicted because of what he was trying to do for the Lord. Two, if we look at the, Christ, the, the life of Christ, we see very clearly that Jesus suffered, that he faced opposition, that he faced rejection as he sought to fulfill God's will for his life. And so it's not necessarily that you and I are gonna be people that are arrested or beaten because of what we believe, right? Like if we go out to share our faith, it's not very likely that we're gonna get arrested on the street corner for, for doing that. But if we seek to see God honored in our lives as we seek to make disciples of all nations, because that's what we're about at FBG, we will indeed face opposition and rejection. And the second thing mentioned is the suffering that would come from just being part of a broken world. That we are living in a world that is bent against Jesus, and as we seek to honor God with all areas of our lives, we're going to face circumstances that would declare to us that God is not good. We'll face circumstances that will tempt us to leave him, to, want, to have us want nothing to do with him. And yet, in the middle of that, Paul says that God is good. In view of suffering, we have to cling to the fact that God is good. He starts the letter out by, by calling God the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by calling him the Father of mercy or the Father of compassion. He calls God the God of all comfort. If, if God is good, how can we know that he's good? He has given us Jesus. He's the Father of Christ. And who is Christ? Christ is the one that was sent into the world to rescue and redeem. He came to be the ultimate servant, the suffering servant. He was holy, and he took on the flesh of man, and all the pain and all the sorrow and all the temptation that would come with it, and yet he remained faithful to the Lord. He lived perfectly, and his reward was affliction. He was given a sentence of death that he didn't deserve, and he took upon himself the full wrath of God so that you and I and everyone that has walked on this earth could have an opportunity to be with God forever. If we are to know that God is good, we simply just need to look to Jesus to know it. 
Next, he calls God the Father of mercy, the Father of compassion. Compassion and mercy flow from God. We can begin to read through the Bible and see very early on that God is merciful, that he is compassionate. We can see in the Garden of Eden that his people turn against him, but God sets a plan to rescue and redeem. We can read through the Old Testament, and we see over and over again that God's people leave him. God has done everything necessary to make for himself a people. He's provided for them, but they leave him, and they're deserving of death and to be cast away from God, but God is compassionate towards them and shows his mercy towards them and does not give them what they deserve. Instead, he rescues and redeems. And then we get to the New Testament and we see that God's ultimate plan of rescue and redemption takes place through Jesus. And God is most definitely merciful and compassionate if we look towards Christ. And the next, he calls God the God of all comfort. See, this word comfort is used 11 times in our text. It's very important. But we must not think of comfort as the relief or the absence of pain or suffering. Comfort here is not sympathy. Comfort is this idea of strength, this idea that God comes to the one that is suffering and he's present with that person and he imparts the strength that that he has to the person that is suffering. See, Paul knows that well. If we look at Paul's life and what he's gone through, he knows that when God is with him, he can press on. He knows that God is a God of comfort no matter what he's going through. And so we need to cling to that truth that God is good, that he's merciful, that he is a God of comfort. Because the truth is you and I are going to face circumstances that would declare to us that he's not good. But guess what? God is the God of our circumstances. Our circumstances do not dictate who God is to us. God dictates our circumstances and right in the middle of our circumstances, God would remind us that he is with us and he is good. He was good before the storm came, he'll be good after the storm leaves, but he's good right in the middle of the storm. And you can trust him because he is good and he would have us know that and bury it deep in our hearts so that when comfort comes, it would be difficult for us to leave him because we know deep within our soul, within our hearts, within our bones that he's good. No matter what situation we're in, we can know that he is good. We may have questions, we may have doubt, but we know within us, with everything that we are, that he's good. And so although our circumstances would have us turn away from him, we can look to him and be thankful that he is a God of comfort in the middle of our circumstances. We must cling to this fact and know it deeply. We must also cling to the fact that God uses our affliction so that we can be comforted. We can only experience the comfort of God through our affliction. Verses four and verses five read this. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the same comfort with which we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Paul is not declaring to them that comfort will come in the form of deliverance. Paul is saying that comfort comes right in the middle of their trouble. Again, Paul knows this well in his life as he has been beaten and arrested and imprisoned for what he's believed. 
and for doing the ministry of the Lord. More, more than that, Paul in verse nine would make it very clear that God uses affliction in our lives. See, in verses eight through 11, Paul begins to tell them that they've experienced something to the point to where they thought that they were going to die. And this is what he says in verse nine. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. See, Paul's opponents would look to him and say, you're not with God, God's not with you. If he was with you, he'd be taking care of you. But Paul would say to them, no, my affliction is the means to which I get to know him deeply. See, Paul was in a situation, we don't know exactly what it is, but to the point where he thought that he was going to die, <coughs> And maybe he would prefer death itself than what he was faced with. And then Paul recognizes that God has brought this affliction into his life so that he would learn to rely on God and not rely on himself. And see, this is one of the gifts of affliction. It's interesting to think about affliction as a gift. But it's one of the gifts of affliction, that because of what's happened to Paul, he recognizes that he is weak, that he cannot do this thing on his own, and he's driven to his knees to reach out to God, to rely on God and not himself and the strength that God would give him. And so although he's faced with death, he relies on God. He's not asking to see the bigger picture. He's not asking to know how these details would work out. He's simply looking to God, and that is enough. You know, the same needs to be said of you and I. I think about a time when I went to Lowe's Home Improvement Store to buy a grill. It was in October. I hadn't had a grill yet in my married life. I had a few kids already. They were young, and so I saved up some money. And, man, I was pumped to go buy my first propane grill. And so we go to Lowe's, and it's mid-October, so there's all these Halloween decorations around on display, and we begin to look through these different grills, opening the lids, looking at the grates, looking at all these different features, trying to figure out what we can afford and what we want. And lo and behold, there is this nine-foot Grim Reaper-looking thing that's behind us. And we didn't recognize it, but we're inching closer and closer to that thing. And then we get close enough, there's a sensor on it, and it reads that someone's there, and it gives out this loud, evil laugh. And man, my kids jumped, they were scared, they squealed, and they immediately got behind me, and they gripped onto my legs and were holding tight. They don't know that I jumped just as much as they did. <laughs> but man, they were holding on tight. And for the first time, I realized my significance of, of being a father in their life, that I'm someone that is interested in their well-being, that God has placed me in their life to give them security. And in their moment of fear, in their moment of discomfort, they immediately get behind me and grip onto my legs, cutting off the circulation. And God reminded me in that moment that he is the same to us. And man, if my kids could only remember that, like if my kids could only remember that I'm in it for their good, and that they could come to me and, man, I'm going to take care of them. But inevitably what happens is this. Like, we're going to leave church today and my kids are going to ask a million questions. They're going to be like, hey, what are we having for lunch? 
hey, are we going to have ice cream? What type of ice cream are we going to have? Hey, are we going to have a snack today? What, what type of snack are we going to have? Are you going to watch the game? Can we watch the game with you? Can we watch the video? What video can we watch? Are we going to play games? What game are we going to play? Who are we going to see today? These questions, they happen over and over and over. It's overwhelming. And I want to say to them, like, guys, look. No, 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 no. Guys, look, look. I got it. God has made me your father. And as your father, I'm interested in your good. And I have a plan. And you can trust me. Yeah, yeah, but what snack are we going to have? No, 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 no. Listen, listen. God has made me your father. And as your father, I know what I'm doing most of the time. Right? And I am interested in your good. Just trust me. Things will go well. Just trust me. Man, God would say the same thing to us right in the middle of our circumstances. We don't have to see the big picture and what he's doing. We don't have to know how he's going to work out all these little details for his good, for our good, and for his glory. We simply just need the trust that he is good, that he has a plan, and that he is going to take care of us. You see, God's vision and God's scope is wide. It is eternal. And our suffering is very momentary in light of eternity. And it's difficult, but it is very brief in light of who God is in eternity. Yet in those difficult moments of suffering, God still wants to use us. God still wants to use us in his eternal plan. And not only that, God wants to be present in our small moments of suffering. He is with us. We need to be reminded of who, we, who he is so that we would not leave him. He is real and he is present. Listen, if you are walking through suffering, you have to know that he is with you. And if we would listen to the example of Paul, we would know this, that if we would rely on God, if we would not rely on self, but rely on God, we would know that he is there to give us strength. And as we rely on him, he is present and he comforts us. If in your affliction, if you hold on to him, if you rely on him and not yourself, you're going to have moments where God speaks very softly and very sweetly to you, and it's going to be a great gift to you. And there's nothing that can describe those moments. If you're walking through a time of significant challenge, I guarantee that if you will hold on to him, there's going to be times when you're reading through his word and God's going to speak to your soul and remind you of who he is, and you're going to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. Not the pain that comes in your suffering, you're gonna be overwhelmed with thanksgiving that he is good and you're gonna be driven to your knees thanking God, saying, yes, Jesus, I can't explain, but thank you, your, your presence is enough. If you would rely on God and not yourselves in the middle of your circumstance, no matter how difficult it may be, there are gonna be times in your life when you are walking through and doing the simple task of the day to day, and God is gonna speak to you out of nowhere and remind you that he's good. You might be driving, you might be doing some work in the house, you might be getting ready for bed, and out of nowhere God will speak to you, and he will say to you in those moments, I am good, and I am with you, and I love you, I'm present in your suffering. And you will have a peace that you cannot describe. It will be deep within you. And you will be thankful that you get to call God your own. And that he gives you his strength in those moments. 
We need to cling to the fact that God uses our affliction so that we can know his comfort. Not only that, we need to cling to the fact that God wants to use the comfort that he gives us so that we can comfort those around us. When we read through our text, we see that Paul would say, we have experienced an overflow of the suffering of Christ. And because of that overflow of suffering, we have experienced an overflow of the comfort of Christ. And that overflow of comfort has poured over from their lives into the lives of the Corinthians so that they could be comforted. And so they look to Paul and the affliction that he's gone through. And they look to, to Paul and his reliance on God and they are comforted. Even if Paul is not delivered, they can be encouraged because Paul is staying the course. He is relying on God and not themselves, and they can be comforted in those moments. The comfort that is given is meant to spread to the church. You know, Paul was even encouraged by the Corinthians that they had sinned against the Lord and trouble had come to their doorstep, and yet God responds, and they look to God and what he's done, and they turn from their sin and back to him. And so as Paul has labored in ministry on their behalf, he receives good news that they're turning from their sin and back to the Lord. And there is encouragement to be found in those moments. You know, think about my refugee friend and how God works these things out. You know, that this guy can offer, can offer comfort and welcome to other refugees in a way that I simply cannot. His scars and his experiences allow him to be with those people and speak to them in ways that I simply can't. And really, it would be just enough if he would walk into the room and would give him that warm handshake and have that pleasant look on his face, and they would immediately know that there is comfort to be found. Why? Because this guy has known God deeply. You know, another way that our affliction is a gift is that God will use the affliction that you go through so that you can reach someone else. And that's hard to think about if you're someone that's walking through challenging circumstances. That affliction could somehow be a gift. But man, I wanna urge you to know that it is. That God, as you rely on him, will use you in your present circumstances to comfort others that are walking through similar challenges. And you will have an opportunity to speak to those people in a way that most of us do not. That is a gift. While it is difficult, it is indeed a gift. But there's level ground to be found. Hey, we all live in a broken world. We will all be faced with some type of affliction simply because our world is broken. And God would remind us that there's comfort to be found in him and that he wants to use us to comfort others. So have we received mercy in Christ Jesus? Absolutely we have. And so we should be people who go out to offer that mercy to others. Have we been given God's strength? Absolutely we have. So we are to go out to those that are weak and remind them that God is good, that God can make them strong. This is the way that God uses us within our church family. And it's not that we go to someone and we say, hey, Hey, like, get your eyes off your circumstances. God has a plan for you. I know things are tough, but just trust God. It's going to be okay. You know, sometimes that could be the worst thing to say to somebody that is, is hurting and is suffering. Like, they probably want to slap you in the face and push you away, right? And so there's this, uh, there's this author 
His name is Joe Bailey. And Joe's written this book that is entitled, A View from a Hearse. And in this book, he details grief that he is experiencing. He has had seven children in his life, but three of them have passed away. And in thinking about the grief that he's gone through, he says this. I was sitting there, torn by grief. Someone came and talked of God's dealings, of why it had happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew that were true, but I was unmoved, except to wish that he would just go away. And he finally did. Then he says this, another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk, he didn't ask leading questions, he just sat beside me for an hour and then more. And he listened when I said something and he answered briefly and he prayed simply and then he left. And I was moved, I was comforted, and I hated to see him go. There are people in our church family that are walking through times of suffering. And we simply need to go to them and say, look, I'm with you. I love you, God loves you, I am with you. Whatever you need, just let me know. But I am here for you, I am here for you. There are a few things that we need to note this morning. One, there's people who've never walked through a time that they would say is a, a significant affliction in their lives. And if that's you, we're not saying, hey, go out and find affliction. Like, go out and, and cause some suffering in your life. That's not wise. Don't do that. That's not what we're saying. Instead, I think what Paul would say to you is continue to rely on God in every area of your life and that God will use you. You will know him deeply as you rely on him, and he will use you in the lives of others. Two, the scriptures would say to us over and over again that if someone in the body is hurting, everyone's hurting. If someone is comforted, we are all comforted. And so if you would say, hey, I've never walked through a time of challenging circumstances, of significant suffering, be thankful to the Lord, but know that you are suffering alongside of your brothers and sisters as they walk through suffering, and God wants to use you in their lives to encourage them to press on. And then two, the question of human suffering in the world is a challenging question. We look at people who we would deem to be good, and we see that they face significant suffering, and we look at people who we would say are evil, are bad, and yet it seems that they succeed, they have great success, and we don't know what to do with that. Now, I would remind us this morning that God in sending Jesus is the ultimate answer to the question of human suffering. That as Jesus came, he took on the suffering of our flesh and he lived perfectly and made a way for us to have ultimate deliverance. So it might be that God will not deliver you from your circumstance. That as you walk through the challenges and difficulty that you're walking through, he may not deliver you from your circumstance, but you can count on this, that there is hope to be found. And biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not going to a beat up car and putting the key in the ignition and hoping that it's going to start. Biblical hope is firm. It stands true that one day we will be delivered in life. So when we pass from this place through death onto eternity, 
If we placed our hope in Christ, we couldn't be with him forever. So although he may not deliver you from your circumstance, he can and will deliver you in your circumstance. So that even if you meet death in your circumstance, you will know that God is the ultimate comforter. You will know that he is in it for your good and you get to be with him forever. These things are good. In view of suffering, we have to cling to the fact that God is good. We have to cling to the fact that we know his comfort in our affliction, and we have to cling to the fact that he uses the comfort that we receive to comfort others. If we will do these things, then we will know that our affliction is not meaningless, that God uses every single moment of our affliction so that we can know him intimately and that we can help others do the same.